Good morning, church. My name is Ben Seaman. I serve on staff as our lead minister. I want to welcome everyone watching online as well as here uh, on campus. Uh, we're in the middle of a six-week summer teaching series called Pray Like This, where the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, we want your prayer life. Uh, could you teach us how to pray like you? Not, not in form, but in in intimacy, there's a connection the disciples are making between the sustainability of Jesus uh, in his ministry, whether that's getting in fights with Pharisees, uh, healing the sick, the lame, and the, uh, the blind, and also being misunderstood by his disciples. And a lot of uh, our spiritual formation is often caught than taught. And that's sort of the same thing that's going on here with the disciples. So if you have your, your Bibles or a smartphone, you can go to your Bible app. We'll be in Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13, like every week, uh, at least for the next couple of weeks. Uh, that's where you're going to find uh, the, the request and where Jesus teaches the disciples uh, how to pray. Uh, let me kick off the sermon by asking one question, okay? And there's some intentionality, so be careful how you answer it. Uh, if, you, if I were to ask you to take me to your favorite restaurant where you had the best meal of your life, where would you take me? All right, you thinking about it? Because I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to make you pay, okay? Uh, where's the best meal that you've ever had? It doesn't have to be your favorite restaurant, but the best meal you've ever had in your life. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I, Crystal, find hilarious and awesome is that uh, we've lived in New England, uh, geez, wow, it'll, I've It'll be uh, three years in the first Sunday of August uh, since we since I moved out first. I left her to sell the house in Illinois like a good husband. Uh, and then over time, it's funny, like, we've only lived here for three years, but you guys are asking us, like, hey, we're going to somewhere in New Hampshire or Maine or somewhere in New England. Do you have any food recommendations? And we love it. Like, you've lived here, and you're asking us. It's great. It's awesome. So you're welcome. I'm going to give you three of our favorite restaurants, okay? I'm going to butcher the first one. Uh, this is in Manchester. Uh, it's called Campiteco. I totally butchered that. Uh, this is a dish. I think there's a fish under there. Uh, this is when I first moved here, so thank you, Gail and Steve Martin, for taking me out to eat and having sympathy uh, because my wife was not here yet. So I'll take free food anyway. I can get it. The second photo is of a short rib, wait for it, at a don't judge me, vegan restaurant. The green, I know, hey, come on now, don't judge, lest you be judged, Jesus. Um, this is, a, the green elephant is in Portsmouth. Uh, I love a good steak, but literally the best vegan food that I've ever had, okay? Don't hate it until you try it. And you're like, nah, I'm going to hate it. I don't want to try it. Uh, the next photo is one of our favorite places. It's called Forage. Uh, it's in Cambridge. And we actually went there uh, last night. Uh, we celebrated our 11th anniversary. So we went down to Cambridge and had an awesome, awesome meal. Those are our three favorite places. So uh, if you've got a wedding or an anniversary or you need to say, I'm sorry, uh, either, either one of these restaurants, I think think will, will help you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, food is necessary for life, but food is a social construct for us. We all know that. We all get that. Uh, we develop relationships over food. We date over food. Sometimes we unfortunately break up over food, uh, but food is what we need, and food is what brings 
people together. Food is also um, a massive metaphor and theme throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to, all the way to Revelation. Actually, once this whole thing, this experiment called life wraps up, there's a, apparently a big banquet in heaven that we all get to eat and have fun. I don't know why I always think about the movie Hook when I think about the big banquet in heaven. Just a random thought, right? Uh, really excited, anticipating, and waiting, waiting for that. The Israelites needed food. Uh, they were, they were uh, journeying from Exodus to Canaan, and uh, they were complaining to Moses. Moses would be an awesome youth pastor, right? The Israelites are, are we there yet? We're hungry. I hate this. You know, sure, we got our backs, you know, beaten half to death by Pharaoh, but at least, uh, at least we had water and some sort of predictability with food. And so God, uh, in his generosity, though he didn't have to, took care of the issue. In Exodus 16, 4 through 5, we read that uh, the Lord was talking to Moses and said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out uh, each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Like a good parent, right? On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, uh, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other other days, because the sixth day, the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, so they have to collect double uh, because they're not supposed to do any work but rest uh, with the Lord on, uh, on, on Saturday. Man is a weird thing. Literally translated in Hebrew, it means something like, what is this? Uh, it's not, um, manna was not grown in the area that the Israelites received manna. Nobody was selling it at a market. It was literally bread from heaven. It was miraculous bread, apparently the best bread that they ever had for themselves. It's a bit of a metaphor, right? That our mission is to invite people to journey with Jesus. And, and we need some spiritual sustainability. Uh, and, and, and I wonder, what are some things that you do to sustain yourself? Uh, some of us like to work out. Some of us like to garden. Some of us like, I mean, it's New England. Some of us like to be on lakes, uh, hiking. I love to hike. We all need ways to sustain ourselves, but we also need ways to sustain ourselves spiritually. I shared this with the last service that I think one of the things that the pandemic and especially the lockdown period uh, weighed heavily on myself and other pastors is the question of, can my people feed themselves? Um, do they have that relationship? And, you know, we could be here all day and do this, you know, but, but sometimes I wonder if God is bringing maybe judgment on the American church that maybe, maybe in the American church it doesn't have to all be lights and glimmer, but it does have to be a people that's willing and able and wanting to collect daily bread from Jesus himself. And so let's look at the Lord's Prayer once again in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, hey guys, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you need to ask the Father for daily bread. That doesn't seem exciting, does it? I mean, think about the prayer, right? Hey, if you want to pray like me, I need you to first start with, God, you are holy in heaven. Like, that's pretty 
pretty monstrous, right? Pretty, pretty momentous. And then he says, <clears throat> and then pray for the kingdom of God in heaven to rule and reign on earth. And we talked about two ways we do that in the politics of Jesus, that we love and serve other people. That's how we announce the kingdom of God in our lives. And now Jesus is like, oh, uh, and the third thing you need to do is, is ask for bread. Like, this prayer is not getting as exciting as it was when it first started. And I don't know about you, but um, things that we think are insignificant and small are probably things that we ignore. Like if I told you the copper door has the best bread in town, which they arguably probably do, I doubt that you're going to get in your car and floor it, right? Because bread is sort of everywhere. And yet it's something that we often uh, ignore. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's almost sort of like uh, children, uh, Jesus uh, told the disciples to let children come to him. Actually, he took it a step farther and probably offended them and said, you actually can't get into heaven unless you act like a kid. Well, how does a kid act? A kid is trusting. A kid is fun. A kid is curious. Right? A kid explores. They ask questions. And the same is true with bread. This is something we should not gloss over, especially with what's coming up in the next couple of weeks where Jesus is going to get really personal about, are you practicing forgiveness? Do you understand that the devil is trying to destroy your life? And so we're going to get into spiritual warfare. And then all of a sudden, this daily bread piece kind of becomes really important. And this wasn't just bread that you would buy at Market Basket. This is a different kind of bread. Literally translated, Jesus is saying, give us today our super substantial bread. Uh, the, the Jews believed that it was bread from heaven. Psalm 78, uh, 24 reads this. He, God, rained down manna for, uh, for them to eat and gave them bread from heaven. Now, here's something you need to know, a little background. Jesus asking the disciples, uh, Jews, to pray for daily bread was not really that big of a deal. I mean, it was sort of, it was sort of kind of typical. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, we have to ask for bread. Here's why. You, you, have to, you have to always remember that the Jews are waiting for a Messiah, and they think there's going to be another exodus or revolution. And so this time, they're thinking, or they're waiting for a new Moses and a new exodus to overthrow the Roman Empire. And as we said last week, uh, in the, I believe it was the kingdom of God, that um, <clears throat> people politically misunderstood Jesus. And they thought Jesus' kingdom was like this physical thing with guns and bombs and, and, and all these war things that we use today. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom rules and reigns not through, um, not through power and propaganda, but through love and service. And so they're, they're thinking in their heads, could Jesus be the new Moses? And could Jesus lead us into a new exodus where we overthrow the Roman Empire and restore Israel? And as you know, John Lennon says, everyone will live as one, right? So this is what they're thinking in the back of their mind as we head into John chapter 6. So Jesus does not get himself in trouble yet uh, by telling his disciples to pray for daily bread. This was not something that was mind-blowing. It's probably something expected uh, a rabbi would tell people in terms of how to pray. So in John chapter 6, we'll be there pretty much the rest of the morning if you want to turn there. You don't have to. It'll be on the screen. And John chapter 6 is the beginning of um, 
sort of the food discourse where Jesus is going to talk about what daily bread actually is. And he's going to talk about food in different, two different stories in John chapter 6. At the beginning of John 6, uh, Jesus feeds about 5,000 people, at least 5,000 men, with a happy meal, some fish and some bread, and he blew the crowd's minds. You saw Jesus' exponential leadership. He's got his disciples. He organized this whole thing. And then he was able to feed people with a happy meal from McDonald's. Now, the, the, the Jews in the crowd are starting to notice something. Remember what I said about Moses and Exodus, John 6, 14 through 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet. This is the new Moses, who is to come into the world and lead us right to, to conquer Rome. Jesus, knowing they had intended to come and make him king by force. Remember, the kingdom of God is not about power and propaganda. It's about love and service. Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Church, we have to be careful to slap Jesus on our political views, to sort of, you know, making Jesus a sticker where uh, how we vote, Jesus would vote. Why would he vote for the other party? Uh, where how we see the world and relationships and people that Jesus would see it the same way. I mean, why else? Because why would we be wrong? Here's the, here's the hard part about the Bible is that the writers of the Bible have an intention and a direction. And as readers of the Bible, we have experiences that sometimes we allow to trump what we're actually reading. And the Jews are doing this right here. Oh, it's Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, he's going to be the new political figure that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And the reason why Jesus withdrew very quickly is because that's not what he's about. And that's not what he's for. And so let's be careful to sort of make Jesus a sticker that we slap on whatever view or idea that we have, uh, because why else would Jesus, like, of course he would see the world the way I see it, when actually, here as we keep reading, we need to see the world the way Jesus does, right? It's his world, we're living in it, it's his kingdom. So in verse 32, he begins another discourse on uh, what the bread of, of heaven and what the bread of the manna and the daily bread sort of actually means. And this is when he gets into trouble by his own people. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you. In other words, what I'm about to say is true, so listen up. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Already confusing them. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives us to the and gives life to the world. And of course, you just see the human that's why I love the Bible. You see the humanity in the disciples. Well, we want this bread. Give us this bread, Jesus, right? I mean, we give us this bread, we never have to be hungry again. We'll have eternal life. Give that to us. Where are you hiding that? Verse thirty five, Jesus declared. Now, this is where he gets in trouble. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Will never, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still not, do not believe, i.e., hello, I'm right in front of you. I'm God in the flesh. He's talking to his people, the Jews, the people that should get it. Verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I, I love this, I will never drive away. We got to go to him first, though. That's, that's the catch. Verse 38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. At this, the Jews began to grumble. 
about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we, we know? How can he know? How can he now say uh, that I came down from heaven? Jesus, we grew up with you, man. Like, you played baseball with our kids. Like, we, we know your family. Like, uh, do, you need, do you need to sit down for a moment? How can you say that you're the bread from heaven? It's, it's like you're saying you're either from God, the Son of God, or equal to God, to which we believe as Christ followers, yes, exactly right. And sometimes we ask Jesus for stuff we don't really know uh, what we're getting in for, right? In verse 34, they said, give us this daily bread. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you what it means to experience this daily bread, which is to say, to experience me. This is where things get really weird. In John 6, verse 53, Jesus tells them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for, the, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because because the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now check this response out. Verse 59. He said this while they were teaching, while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who could accept it? In other words, what is he talking about? In verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, did I offend you? Did I, did I offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would actually betray him. This is a really heartbreaking moment in Jesus' public ministry. The, to the best of my knowledge, this is the only time the Jews, his people, will listen to a sermon or a teaching or an understanding of the Torah, because every question Jesus is asked, it, it comes from his, his interpretation of the Torah, the first five books of your, of your Old Testament. And he says, the manna that um, Moses used to feed the Israelites, I supplied that for your ancestors. Not only did I supply it, but I am the manna from heaven that the psalmist wrote about, which is the book of Psalms are basically the worship set list that Jesus and the Jews would have sang. So I, I'm not only manna from heaven, uh, I am the song that you're singing about, praising God, that he actually gave your ancestors manna from heaven. And the Jews looked at each other and said, I... I don't, I'm leaving, bye. And it's not that they didn't accept Jesus or they didn't understand Jesus. Listen, church, this is where it gets really scary. It's not that they left because they didn't understand Jesus. They didn't believe in him. You understand what I'm saying? 
They did not believe in him. This would be the equivalent of Jesus preaching today uh, at RCC and him, he saying a really hard thing. And some of you getting up and leaving, not only walking away from the church building, but leaving the faith entirely. This is the equivalent of someone listening to a sermon and saying, you know what? I was kind of on the fence about Christianity, but I'm going to stick with atheism or agnosticism for the rest of my life. Jesus preached sermons that drove people away from himself. And the heartbreaking reality is they didn't want to believe him. Some of us refuse our daily bread. Some of us refuse spending time with Jesus every day because we functionally don't believe that spending time with Jesus will produce a quality and a sustainability of our lives. Let that sink in, because it's something that I, I, I have to wrestle with. Sort of uh, daily bread is sort of synonymous sometimes with me in my own journey with Jesus. Is like, do I have time to read my Bible today? Not for a sermon, not to teach a, an amazing lesson or whatever, but to fill and feed my own soul. And sometimes, if I'm honest with myself, um, I miss those times and those moments with Jesus because I'm too busy too busy. And functionally, I don't believe that it will add value and meaning to my life. What will add value and meaning to my life? Here's here's where that false sense comes in from last Sunday. What will add meaning to my life is praise from people. Man, great sermon or awesome idea or whatever, right? We talked about that. That's a false self-identity that we easily believe. We'd rather believe that than spend time with, with Jesus and let him be our daily bread. Oh, church, please do not ignore your daily walk with Christ. Whether that's going a walk in your neighborhood and praying out loud, reading your Bible, spending time in silence, whatever that is, do not miss it. It's more important than your parenting. It's more important students than your friendships. It's more important than how you perform at your job, right? There is a, there is a as the disciples are making connections between the sustainability of Jesus' ministry and his prayer life, there are, easy, there are uh, super easy ways to make connections between I'm honoring with Crystal, I'm a bad employee, I'm a jerk of a friend with relationship to me spending time with Jesus or not. I kind of have a short fuse. Um, I I kind of uh, can just sort of dominate a conversation. I I tend to sometimes not wait for the other person to finish talking because I already have 87 other ideas when I'm not spending time with Jesus. It's a humbling thing. It's not our world that Jesus lives in it, and he has visitation rights. It's his world. We're living in it, and this is the way he's inviting us to have a relationship with him. It's the simplicity and the sometimes humility and humbleness that comes with spending time with Christ. And the Jews could not wrap their head around it, and they left. They walked away from the faith. John 6, 56, Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. That's where it gets kind of weird, sort of like walking dead, zombie kind of weird. Like, Jesus, are you telling us we have to eat your left leg and drink your blood? This this seems weird. Now, there are some uh, faith traditions and denominations that believe when you take communion, you're literally eating uh, the bread and blood of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. Uh, We don't believe that in RCC because 
because I believe that Jesus is teaching something different. When, this is what got the Jews so worked up. When Jesus said, uh, if you want to eat my daily bread, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're probably thinking about Leviticus 16.11. In Leviticus 16.11, Moses writes, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The Jews would never drink blood, right? Because we need, they needed the blood to be shed and spilled out from the animal to have forgiveness of sin. And Jesus, is, is, it seems like he's contradicting the Torah, so not only is he making crazy statements, uh, this, this is a guy we played softball with, and now he thinks he came down from heaven. He, he's saying, uh, oh, it's not that life comes from the blood, it's that life comes from the Holy Spirit. John 6, 63, Jesus turns everything on its head for these guys. He says, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and they are full of life. What in the world is Jesus talking about? This is a pretty confusing text and a pretty confusing teaching. What he's talking about is the eventual death, burial, and resurrection. What he's talking about is the gospel. Eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking the blood of Jesus, is sharing the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. I know that's pretty common idea in Christianity, but it was the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. When you and I become Christ followers, we receive the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, somewhere in the middle, that the Spirit is a seal. It's a a mark. Literally translated in Greek, seal means an engagement ring. Why does that matter to you? Because an engagement ring means when you ask someone to marry you, you trust them enough (laughs) that they're going to say yes, hopefully, especially if you put it on the internet, right? And when you put an engagement ring on somebody, it's not that that moment is really awesome, which it is. It means that there's a better day coming. For us, for Christians, that would be eternal life with Christ in heaven. So Jesus is not talking about, yes, you have to eat my left leg, Peter, and drink my blood. No, what he's talking about is when you believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, confess Christ as Lord, uh, repent of your sin, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. You're sharing the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is in you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about his bodily resurrection. And it was at this, some of the disciples had to leave. I mean, to be honest, in Judaism, there's no such thing as a trinity. So saying you're God is already strike one. But saying that you have to eat somebody's flesh and drink their blood is just weird. And they just could not trust him. So like, at the end of the Gospels, like Thomas says, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. There was none of that here. There was like, I just don't believe you. I'm leaving. They could not understand that Jesus would go to the cross, rise again three days later, and that we could share that resurrected life with him every single day when we practice our daily bread with Jesus. Now, there's one, one more thing I want to share with you. There's a little sentence that like, you'd probably fall asleep and ignore, but it's pretty profound. In John chapter 6, verse 59, uh, John lets us know that he, Jesus, said these things, 
these big ideas while he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Now, when a Jew or a rabbi is teaching in the synagogue, uh, there, there's a lot of religious meaning there, obviously. And so you've got a guy that is claiming to be God, claiming to be greater than Moses, claiming to be greater than the manna in Exodus, and claiming that if you do not have a relationship with me, you will not spiritually be able to sustain your life. Yeah, that kind of gets you in trouble. But what the Jews probably would have seen in the synagogue, or what it would have probably drawn their attention to, is something that happened uh, in the temple, which would be the, uh, the, table, uh, the table of the bread of presence. I've got a photo there for you. Um, and on this gold table was bread. And there was also a bowl that the priests would put wine in. Now check this out. You're not ready for this. Later on at a meal, the, high pr- or the priest would drink the wine. Now, here's why you need to care about this and why what Jesus is saying about being the bread of life is so remarkable. Again, separates himself from all other religious teachers. Here's what the Jews believed about the bread of presence on this table. It represented the presence of God and the face of God. And so when you, uh, to to use 2021 language, when you take communion, it is like you are staring in the face of God. John chapter 1, somewhere in the first five verses, John says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was what? With God. Who cares about prepositions? You should. Here's why. When John says that, that the word Jesus was with God, what he's saying is that Jesus was face-to-face with God. Now, it's not just a statement of proximity, proximity, it's also a statement of intimacy. That Jesus in the flesh is the intimacy of God. And so when you are spending time with Jesus every single day, you are experiencing the intimacy of God by looking at Jesus in the faith through your face through your scripture reading, through your prayer, through your silence, through your meditation, and being quiet enough to listen to Jesus. Secondly, it was a reminder of God's covenant. There's five covenants in the Bible. The fifth one is between the world and Jesus. Anybody now can come to faith and and, and follow God so long as they believe the gospel. So when you take communion every week, not only is it a moment of intimacy, and when you spend time with Jesus, it not only is it a moment of intimacy, but you are being reminded of the vows God made to you. When I do weddings, I always tell the couple in the audience that when you make a vow to your spouse, it's as if you're making an appointment with yourself in the future. Right? Honey, this is who I'm going to be for you in the future. So here are my vows. When we spend time with Jesus, when we take communion every week, we're being reminded of the vows our Heavenly Father has, uh, that he's made for us. And it's a reminder of the vows we've made towards him. Right? And you get this circle of insecurity in the Bible, where God's constantly chasing after us, and then we chase after him for a season, kind of do our own thing, we repent, come back, and spending time with Jesus is a reminder of his covenant love for us. Here's the third and final thing. You see the face of God, you're reminded of the covenant of God, 
And this sort of blew me away. Rabbis taught that sometimes the priests would take the, uh, the, 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 the wine and the bread and they would stand before the Israelites and, they would, and he would say, behold, looking at the two emblems, God's love for you. God's love for you. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am the face of God, right? I am the covenant reminder that God will be faithful to you, and I am in the flesh God's love for you. This is what would be going on in the audience's minds, and why, and you can, I hope, see why they would get, some of them would get so upset that they would walk away from Jesus. Uh, I began this, the message, the sermon, by sharing you, uh, with you some of my favorite restaurants and meals. Uh, let me show you the, my favorite place to have a meal. Uh, this is my chair at home in my home office. Uh, yep, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. Get over it. Uh, on the chair is my Bible, uh, a devotional from Pete Scazzera, which is awesome. Uh, what you don't see in the photo is a, a book of prayers that um, a guy wrote that was phenomenal. And I, and I go through those things every morning when I get back from the gym and give myself about 30 to 45 minutes to sort of practice silence um, close my eyes, focus on my breathing, control my breathing, sit in silence before the Lord for a few minutes, and then I begin reading the devotion, reading the scriptures, reading through prayer. Then I grab a pen and my journal, and I just begin writing things that encourage me, things that upset me, things that offend me, things that are, are challenging me. The reason why I, I do this is because I no longer, I used to, I no longer look at daily bread as an option. Uh, I, you know, especially like just think about the last 15 months, right? I have no idea what today's going to bring. I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring. And if Jesus is truly the bread of life, that means Jesus is our sustainability. We are kidding ourselves, church, if we say, I'm a Christian, but the last time I hung out with Jesus was probably four years ago. Like, you could still be a Christian. That's not my job to figure that out for you. But we need sustainability. We need to nurture and grow our hearts. If Jesus is the bread of life, which he is, Jesus is our sustainability. And this is why Jesus asked the disciples and us, when you pray, ask for daily bread to see the face of God, to be reminded of his covenant love, and it is a daily reminder that God loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this reminder that we need sustainability, that we are kidding ourselves if we claim Christ and uh, aren't really spending any time with you. That Jesus, there's a direct correlation between um, struggling in marriage and work and friendship to our ability or inability to spend time with you. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would look at it as a, not an obligation, but a joy, something that we don't have to do, but something that we, we get to do. Jesus, we thank you that at the end of the day, physical bread won't sustain us, but you will, a relationship with you will, not a religious symbol of, you know, the bread of presence or wine in a bowl, but, but you. God, remind us of your love today, your faithful commitment to us, that we can know you and see your face. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.